the hymn we just sang uh, started with the words, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. That hymn says that God dwells in inaccessible light. This is what the Bible means when it says that no eye can see God and live. Um, You know, if you studied physics at school, you know that there is a light in the light spectrum uh, that the human eye cannot see. Uh, We can obviously often... We can obviously see light within a certain spectrum, but outside of that, there's invisible lights and gamma rays and X-rays, I think, all these sorts of rays which we cannot see. And that is similar to what is being expressed here. God's glory is so bright and so outside our comprehension that we cannot see it and live. But the good news is, God has done something to stoop so that we can see his glory. Jesus is God's refracted light so that we can see him. Uh, He's come to this world so that we can see him as he is, and yet in a way that we can understand. Uh, The Bible calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. He is the express image of God. Uh, He's God translated into a language we can understand. That is who God the Son is. He reveals the Father, to us. That's in fact what John's Gospel says exactly. Uh, In John's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, I didn't write this down, so I'll have to work from memory, but in John uh, chapter 1, it says, uh, if I can find the right verse, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God's. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. That's why Jesus is called the Word. We can't see thoughts. To see someone's thoughts, they have to be expressed in words. And for us to understand God, he must be expressed through his word, Jesus Christ. If you want another illustration, God's word, particularly in the Gospels, as we read of Christ, uh, the Gospels are like a pair of glasses which enable us to see. Uh, You probably know my eyesight's not great. Uh, You're all quite fuzzy out there because I'm not wearing my glasses. I wear them when I'm driving because it would not be safe to do them otherwise. But those glasses enable me to see things clearly that I could not otherwise see. And God's word, 
as we read of Christ in the gospel, like a pair of glass which, glasses which enable us to see God clearly because they reveal Christ to us. And in this passage, which we've already read, we see something of the majesty and the splendor and the glory of God. Uh, Christ's actions in this triumphal entry into Jerusalem are designed to reveal to us who God is. And he's not the king we would necessarily expect. Uh, Yesterday we saw a coronation procession, didn't we? We saw that in ornate golden carriage, uh, air-conditioned, I believe. Uh, We saw the armies uh, walking in front of that carriage and the horses with their braided manes and the um, polished boots and the uh, amazing pageantry uh, as they led King Charles through the streets of London. But here we see Christ, the King of Kings, and he's not in a golden carriage. Uh, he doesn't have a fly past, uh, truncated or otherwise. Uh, he doesn't have an army of soldiers. He doesn't have a marching band. Instead, he comes on a donkey. For all the creatures to choose, he chooses a donkey. And it's surprising, but it teaches us a lot about Christ. And it teaches us a lot about God himself. Notice, first of all, uh, the donkey he chose was untrained. The donkey he chose was untrained. Uh, Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. Uh, This donkey had never been trained. It hadn't been broken in. It had never even been sat on. And yet this is the donkey that Jesus chose. And look at verse 7. It says, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Jesus sat on this donkey, this colt, which had never yet been sat on, and yet the donkey carried him. Apparently without a single objection, which donkeys can be apt to give, I understand. This teaches us something about Christ. Uh, Jesus is truly Lord of all. Everything is subject to Christ. When God created mankind in the beginning, uh, he said to Adam and to Eve that they were to subdue all creation, to exercise dominion over it. But of course, sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result, there's kind of this tension and this warfare between man and beast and man and nature. 
Uh, we have to huddle in storms. We have to fight against wild beasts. And sometimes beasts can kill mankind. And not everything is subject to man as it should be. But Jesus demonstrates himself here to be the perfect man. Uh, he can command an ocean to be still in the middle of a storm. He can instruct the wind to cease simply with his voice. Uh, he can walk on water. Uh, we learn after he was re- resurrected, he was able to pass through locked doors. Uh, Christ was not inhibited by all the things that we are so often inhibited by because he was Lord. He is Lord of all. Uh, There's even that wonderful story of when Peter comes to him uh, because the taxmen are coming and the taxmen are asking for the temple tax and Peter asks Jesus whether they should pay it or not. And Jesus says, yes, we should pay the tax. But then he instructs Peter to go to the river or the lake and to fish out a fish. And he opens the fish's mouth and there's a coin, the exact amount needed inside. Christ's dominion is such that he can even orchestrate, in a way I can't even begin to imagine, a fish to have at some point swallowed a coin and have it in its mouth so it will be there ready for Peter to catch and give to Jesus. That's the authority that Christ has. That's what it means for Christ to be Lord of all. And we see it in this simple action of taking a donkey, a colt, a young donkey, which had never yet been sat on, and yet Christ can subdue it, can discipline it, can train it in an instant. Jesus truly is Lord of all. So that's the first thing we learn of Christ. Uh, The donkey was untrained. Christ is Lord of all. There's more we can learn. Uh, Look at verses 3 to 6. Verses 3 to 6. After Jesus instructed them to go and find this donkey, he says, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they, the disciples, went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood by, who stood there, said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Now, commentators uh, suggest that this was probably a prearrangement by Christ. the Romans were on edge at this time, the Passover. They were worried about the possibility of rebellion and of uprisings. So it's possible this was an arrangement that Christ um, organized ahead of time with the owners of this donkey uh, to keep them out of trouble. We don't know the details. But what we can say is that this donkey wasn't owned by Christ. This was a borrowed donkey. Uh, It wasn't even Christ's own possession. This reminds us of what Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20. 
he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Very simple point. Jesus was poor. And we all know that, don't we? But that's an amazing thing to ponder. God came to this world. That's who Jesus is. And he chose to come and be a poor man. That's not what we would choose. That should teach us something about the value God puts on riches. Uh, We think very highly of riches, don't we? Health, wealth, possessions. And for many of us, perhaps the majority of us, that is kind of one of the chief aims of life, to gain comfort and security, the comfort and security that comes through wealth. And yet the God of the universe, when he became man, he became poor. True riches are not the amount of money, is not the amount of money you have in your bank account or the possessions in your home or the value of your home itself. That's not where true riches lie. Uh, Ask any honest, rich person, And they will acknowledge that is not where contentment and peace truly comes from. Uh, True riches is having a relationship with God, is knowing him. Uh, Jeremiah wrote these words. He said, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. The second lesson from this donkey is that Christ does not delight in riches, in wealth. God does not delight in riches and wealth. He's not impressed by your bank balance. He's not impressed by your jewellery. He's not impressed by our possessions. They don't move God's heart. He has no delight in those things. What God delights in, what Christ delights in, is loving kindness is in justice and in righteousness. Those were the things which Christ was concerned with. That's the kind of king he is. Not one decked in gold with marvellous jewels, but a king who is poor but loving. A king that is poor but just. A king that is poor but righteous. That is the kind of king that Christ is, and he's revealing to us what God is like. So we've seen that the donkey was untrained, but Christ could train it. Uh, The donkey was borrowed, and Christ chose it. But lastly, we see that the donkey 
was a donkey. Of all the animals Christ could have picked, uh, all the mighty and wonderful creatures, you'd think uh, something like a, uh, a stallion, perhaps, a mighty horse which people would look at and admire, uh, perhaps even, I don't know, an elephant or something, something impressive, something mighty that kings have risen, uh, perhaps a chariot uh, with someone riding for him, uh, a carriage like we saw yesterday, uh, our king riding in. You thought, surely that'd be more appropriate for a mighty king, for the king of kings and lord of lords. Surely then everyone would have followed him. Surely then everyone would have flocked to him. Surely that's what Christ would have wanted. But no. Instead, he arrives on a donkey, which famously is a humble beast. Uh, Go to Skegness and you'll see children riding them. Uh, They're not known for their nobility and their greatness. They're donkeys. They don't have particular splendor. And yet, that is the kind of animal God chose to enter Jerusalem on. Uh, Now, obviously, uh, as I'm sure many of you know, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy Uh, In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, uh, God prophesied, or Zechariah, God through Zechariah, prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem in this way. Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. And the uh, Jews of Jerusalem would have unmistakably recognized this prophecy in what Christ was doing. Did you notice how they shouted, Hosanna? And Hosanna means, save us. And obviously this prophecy says that, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. And so they recognize their king, because there he is, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The point of this prophecy was to demonstrate that their king wasn't a proud king, wasn't a mighty king in the eyes of the world around them, Uh, Remember, that was what they wanted, wasn't it, when they first chose a king? Uh, They didn't want God as their king. They said to Samuel, we want a king like the kings of the nations round about. Uh, We want someone who will stand in a chariot and be impressive. And they were delighted when Saul, uh, one of the tallest men and the strongest men in the land, stood before them. But that's not the kind of king God wanted Israel to have. He said, this is the king you should have, who is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. God is revealing to Israel and he's revealing to us what he is like. This is one of the sad things, isn't it, about pride. Uh, We so misunderstand when we're proud 
what is truly important. Uh, sometimes uh, we're embarrassed when we perhaps make a mistake, a mistake, a slip of the tongue, or we betray that we're not quite as strong as we thought we were. Uh, I know at school, and you'd be humiliated when you didn't win a race, or you didn't um, weren't as strong as the next guy, or whatever it might be. And these are the things as human beings we put special value in, aren't they? Strength, beauty, uh, the passing glory uh, of man. And yet they're so fleeting, aren't they? They're so insignificant, insubstantial. Jesus is saying here, those aren't the things which matter. These aren't the things which are important. This is what God is like. He's lowly. He's humble. Can you wrap your head around that? The idea of a humble God. It almost sounds uh, kind of like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It sounds like the, the paradox, an opposite. How can you have a humble God? And yet it's the kind of God we have. Jesus said that, didn't he? Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love how Jesus says there, I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's not just a manufactured humility. Uh, As British people, we're good at that, aren't we? Uh, We're great at kind of like false humility. Uh, We sort of praise modesty as a great virtue, and we will... um, uh, pride ourselves almost on our modesty, if I can put it that way. But that's not the kind of humility Christ has. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Uh, However deep you go, you will find humility with Christ. No wonder God said to Israel in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Because your king is coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey. You know, throughout history, uh, the crowning of a new king or queen has been a time of great anxiety. Uh, People wondering, what's the new king going to be like? What new laws is he going to bring in? In fact, I was reading just yesterday, I was curious, uh, I noticed in the procession at one point they Uh, went down just before they got to Admiralty Arch and they went underneath the statue of Charles I, who obviously was executed. And I was uh, just curious and looking up the history of it. And it turns out, apparently, that when his son, Charles II, eventually became king after that brief period of no king uh, in um, uh, in the United Kingdom because they executed Charles I, the first thing, or one of the first things Charles II did was round up all the people who had been involved in the trial and execution of his father, and you can imagine what he did to them. And you can imagine the fear and the terror of those people who had been involved in that trial when they heard and saw King Charles II becoming king, and many of them tried to flee, um, and not many succeeded. 
the fear, the anxiety, the worry, a new king has come, what will he do? But no such fear is needed to those who bow the knee to Christ. Uh, We've committed sins against him. Uh, There's every reason for Christ to be angry at us. And yet he says to us, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those verses were very important to me when I was becoming a Christian uh, in about 16 years old. I was feeling incredibly guilty uh, for things that I had done, and I wondered if I could be forgiven. And I wondered for the best part of a year, reading this and that book, trying to see if forgiveness was possible. But relief only came eventually when I read those verses. And Jesus says, come to me all, you who labor and are heavy laden. He doesn't say some of you, and I might accept you. He says, if you labor, if you are heavy laden, if you are burdened by your sin, if you are burdened by your guilt, come to me and I will give you rest. He's not saying, no, you're good really, so you can come. He says, no, you're bad. No, you've done things wrong. But I'm lowly. I'm meek. Come to me and I can forgive you. You will find rest for your soul. That's the third thing we learn from this entry into Jerusalem. Jesus chose a donkey to demonstrate his humility and his willingness to accept anyone however bad, who comes to him. That's the kind of king we serve. That's the kind of king who Jesus is. That's the kind of king God is. And if that's the kind of king we serve, if that's who Jesus is, do you see how there's no room for pride in our own hearts? Do you see how pride is just a ridiculous response in light of all that Christ has done for us? Let me just close uh, with a little story from uh, Corrie ten Boom. I often um, uh, use Corrie ten Boom as an illustration, but this is one I don't think I've ever used before. Uh, But the story goes that um, Corrie ten Boom was once asked, for those who don't know perhaps, she was a Dutch lady who with her family, hid Jews during the Second World War, and many of her family uh, died in the concentration camps when they were caught. But she survived and afterwards would uh, go sharing the gospel uh, in many different situations and circumstances. Uh, But she was once asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. Her crowds of people wanting to hear her story... Uh, She had seen God work in her life in amazing ways. And people asked her, is it difficult for you to remain humble? And this was her reply. Her reply was this. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him. She continued, if I can be the donkey 
on, what, on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory. I give him all the praise and all the honour. That's enough, isn't it? To be like the donkey which Jesus rode on, that he may get all the praise and all the honour and all the glory. And that's why I've chosen uh, as our final hymn, a hymn which I trust you'll forgive me, is one we uh, normally sing uh, at Christmas time, but I think we can get away with singing it now uh, in the middle of the year. It's number 180. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became his poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender. Sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. So we'll close by singing number 180. <laughs>